This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Every conspiracy theory about Ukraine starts somewhere. This one starts with a fundamental mistake that the Russian Empire ceased to exist. In fact, it fully thrives today, just with a new name, the Russian Federation. I'm Yulia, an independent political journalist, content creator, and most important of all, a concerned Ukrainian citizen. You are listening to FAQ U by Svidomi Media, your friendly neighborhood fact check for Russia's special disinformation operation. Today we're going to be discussing why is the West so eager to consume Russian propaganda? Well, for one, it isn't new. It's so believable because you can seemingly trace evidence to back it up throughout history. Be it about execution of Jews by Ukrainians during World War II, Yekaterina the Great, Estlayer creating Odessa and Mykolaiv, Khrushchev gifting Crimea to Ukraine as a mistake, Gorbachev setting the republics free as an act of goodwill, or putrid, I'm sorry, but I can't bring myself to pronounce his name any other way, leading a world superpower. Let's break this all down. You're having a hard time digesting the idea that you are being fed lies because you think that as an educated society, you would be able to tell if Russia was lying. After all, you have studied history, and you know what's right and wrong. There is a nuance here, though. Russia didn't just start lying to you. It's that you just found out. So when did they start lying to us? 1991? No. Stalin's regime? No. Lenin's regime? Wrong again. The creation of the Russian Empire? Bingo. Peter the not-so-great wanted you to believe that he was great, a ruler of a big empire with rich history. Upon studying the origins of his kingdom, Muscovy, he found out that there wasn't much to study or even embellish on. Solution? Do what modern Moscovites do best. Steal. Kievan Rus, or at the time known as Ukraina Rus interchangeably, was in fact a great kingdom with rich history, whose rulers married with the rulers of large and prosperous empires of the time. Then and there, Muscovy became the Russian Empire. Peter worked long and hard in fabricating connections, appropriating and rewriting history to draw himself and the newly founded Russia into the Rus' legacy. And that's how, based on lies and deception, the great Russian Empire was born. Now, you can do that on and on with many a famous figures that contributed to your view of Russia as the world's greatest superpower, and that, in turn, contributed to their modern web of lies being much more digestible. 
In the Soviet times, when Russia needed a great shiny scientist to demonstrate to the world in a never-ending race for greatness with the U.S., they just imported one from a republic, say Ukraine, rossified their last name, changed their nationality and their passport, and gave them an offer they, literally under the threat of persecution, couldn't refuse to work in Moscow. You moved to work in Moscow because you had no other choice? Sweet, you're Russian now, and so are all of your inventions and accomplishments. Modern Russia doesn't bother importing bright minds and their inventions. They simply buy them from AliExpress, as we have witnessed with the military robot dog. Don't have something to show for yourself? Solution. Make it up, lie, steal, do whatever. Just make it appear great. And this is exactly why the West so easily still falls for Russian propaganda today. It's hard to tell because you still haven't dissected all of the lies and live in the world in which Russia only recently became this deceiving genocidal monster. For you, it used to be a beacon of great rich Slavic culture all throughout history until this point in time. Alas, the truth is, Russia has always been a monster. You just looked the other way and judged the book only by its pretty cover. Had you looked into the table of contents, you would have known that Russians are in Slavic. They come from Mongolian and Finno-Ugric tribes, and so does their language. That a large percentage of people in the country you're used to thinking of as powerful and wealthy have no access to gas, electricity, and running water. That Russia, just like its many former names, Muscovy, Russian Empire, the USSR, is an evil empire of deception built on nothing but a strong chokehold on resources of its neighbors and blood of those who tried to highlight the truth. So, FAQ their narrative. Let's sort it out. Joining us today is Mykola Repchuk, a political and ethnic studies senior researcher in the Ukrainian Academy of Sciences. And he'll be walking us through how Russia became what it is today. My name is Mykola Repchuk. Uh, I am a senior researcher at the Institute of Political and Ethnic Studies of the Ukraine Academy of Sciences, and currently I am a visitor researcher at the Ghent University, Belgium. Well, here we have user at BPS79 to start with, quote, The Soviet Union dissolved in 1991, and no, Russia is not an empire. It's a backwards kleptocratic state with minimal power on the world scene. Having nukes doesn't make you an empire, end quote. Can we unpack that? Yes, of course. Uh, it's it's a very difficult question because uh, we have some stereotype uh, about empires. We have this Western perception of empires, uh, which are associated with uh, Britain and Portugal and, and France. Uh, but also history provides a lot of examples of land empires. And it's not only Russia or Habsburg Empire or Ottoman Empire or Roman Empire. None of them had uh, overseas uh, colonies. Uh, of course, Russia was was empire, no no doubt. Actually, it uh, recognized itself uh, under Peter the Great, uh, Peter the First, as uh, empire. And it remained empire under the Bolsheviks and now under Putin. Uh, it behaves like empire. Uh, of course, uh, it's a very special empire because it colonized very different people and some of them had been and still are on the higher level of development than uh, the, the capital city, than Russia itself. And of course, this uh, creates some, some misunderstanding because, yes, it's easy to recognize um, Eastern 
uh, Russian lands as colonies because really these people were colonized more or less like um, territories of America and Canada. Yeah, native native people were expelled from their lands and settlers came and uh, marginalized all this native population. So it's it's easy to prove that in Siberia, Far East, uh, it was typical standard colonization. More or less the same was in Central Asia, where also uh, people were subjugated and uh, from the very beginning, colonizers exposed very high despise and superiority uh, vis-a-vis natives. It's very, very characteristic feature of colonialism. They uh, they have this feeling of superiority. They uh, have civilization mission, mission, uh, mission civilizatrice. Uh, and it's obvious in the case of Russia, vis-a-vis Central Asia, vis-a-vis uh, Caucasus. But of course, Ukraine case is more complicated, more, more difficult to explain. It's more similar, I, I guess, to the case of uh, Scotland or maybe Ireland. Because yeah, these people uh, were not—they um, were not marginalized as individuals. On the contrary, they were absorbed. They were in, invited to become Russians. But as soon as they refused to to be to become Russians, to to be Russians, as as long as they insisted they are different, they have distant identity, distant language and culture. Of course, they were heavily repressed. Actually, what we see today. Um, so we have to understand this peculiarity. This this very special uh, dialectics, so to say, when Russian imperial discourse divides Ukrainians, as well as Belarusians, by the way, for uh, good Ukrainians and bad Ukrainians. So uh, good Ukrainians are almost Russians, and they are supposed to be Russians, and they are embraced, and uh, they are supposed also to embrace Russian invaders. Uh, but Ukrainians who refuse to do this, who instinct, uh, ins- insist on their uh, distinct features, uh, they are downgraded to the level of uh, nationalists, or even today they are claimed to be Nazis. So z- we have to recognize this um, rhetorical uh, trickery uh, employed by Moscow. And uh, I understand that many people um, abroad uh, are mistaken by this because they cannot cannot uh, catch, cannot uh, deconstruct this peculiar uh, demagoguery. Is it perhaps difficult for people to perceive Russia as an empire because it's white people colonizing white people? Uh, yes, uh, there is no uh, racial issue involved in this case. And if there is no uh, racial discrimination, it's really very difficult to prove uh, colonialism. But uh, we have to understand that colonialism involves not only racial discrimination, it involves uh, also the feeling of superiority, uh, uh, attempt to belittle um, colonized people, to marginalize them, to silence them, to actually to dispossess them of their agency. They, uh, they are supposed to be represented by the empire. They shouldn't have their own voice. The empire knows better what who they are and uh, what they need. So this is actually what we observe today. Putin knows better who Ukrainians are. He knows that we are not Ukrainians. <laughs> so this is very peculiar, very ridiculous situation. But, you know, colonialism has different faces. And Ukrainians, in a way, also were... Uh, discriminated in a quasi quasi racial quasi racist uh, way uh, ukraine language was a kind of black skin in in, in the russian empire and in the soviet union it was uh, object of 
um, stigmatization, humiliation, and marginalization. So our our language was our black skin. Of course, it was easier to change language than to change skin, and many people did it. And this is why so many Ukrainians were Russified, because under the social pressure, uh, under the imperial pressure, of course, they, many of them got rid of their language as part of their identity. Well, how about this unique perspective on the subject? User at Jurek underscore Zlatko says, quote, What is most ironic is that the majority of Ukrainians are native Russian speakers or use Russian interchangeably with Ukrainian. Even Zelensky speaks poor Ukrainian. Not true. This war in the Ukrainian side is fought to enrich the ruling elite. End quote. I'm just going to go ahead and hand you the mic. Yes, it's another paradox of um, colonization of Ukraine that people, even even if they lost their language or, or partially lost, because most of them did not lose it completely, they were forced to to abandon it, not to use it in public. It was uh, not encouraged. It was suppressed uh, by by authorities. But even if they lost their language, they still re- retained their identity, and most of them still are Ukrainians. It's very similar phenomenon to what we observe in Ireland, where people. Also, many of them lost, uh, most of them actually lost uh, Gaelic language, but still they are Irish people, not not English. And this is what many people fail to understand, not only in Moscow, but but also internationally, because they still raise questions about, you know, Russian speakers or whatever. It doesn't matter in Ukraine. You can can speak any language, but but to be Ukrainian, because we have civic uh, idea of uh, of nationality. We have political nation, and everybody who has Ukraine passport and who is loyal to to this state is Ukrainian. So that's that's very simple, but I'm really surprised that people who have the same civic nations, like in France or in America, at the same time, they cannot understand that Ukrainians also may have this kind of, of civic nation, of political nation. Well, what about this very popular narrative? User at My Lord Bebo, oh my lord, says, quote, The senseless proxy war by America and NATO must end. Ukrainians and Russians are like brothers and sisters, for heaven's sake, end quote. This one also plays in very well into soft colonialism. That's when Russians are good but they still speak over and on behalf of Ukrainians, you know, supporting us, while taking away our voices in the info space. Yes, it's a very good point about uh, soft colonialism, because um, really uh, it's very difficult to to distinguish, very difficult to recognize it. I uh, often use this metaphor of uh, Robinson Crusoe and Friday to explain this phenomenon. You you probably know this classical novel by Daniel Defoe. And Russian-Ukrainian relations largely resemble these relations between Robinson Crusoe and Friday. Friday is nice, and Robinson Crusoe loves Friday, basically. Because uh, Friday is very helpful, but very obedient, and and uh, Robinson Crusoe can feel his superiority. He can manage this Friday, this um, indigenous uh, person. But as long as Friday is obedient, as long as Friday recognizes superiority of Robinson Crusoe, as long as Friday accepts this uh, artificial name of Friday, he's not Friday. He has only his real name, uh, but uh, but you know he he's supposed to accept this name just for convenience of Robinson Crusoe. But suddenly, Friday 
comes out to, to protest, to, to insist on his own identity, his own real name, and on and on, his own real culture. And this Friday is not Good Friday. This, this Friday is uh, crazy. Uh, he should be treated in mental hospital, or probably he was hijacked by some other Robinson, maybe American, or maybe Polish, or maybe Austrian, or Jewish, I don't know. But, but Friday himself cannot come to this idea of his own dignity, his own freedom, his own name, his own culture. He had to be manipulated by somebody else. This is how Russians interpret Ukrainian independence, Ukrainian desire to, to be free and uh, to, to develop their own culture and state. So, no, it's it's very, very old story. It's a very typical story. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's quite comical how Russian TV and media, and Russians themselves, always portray Ukrainians as country bumpkins. Yet, in reality, it is actually most Russians that resemble this description, while Ukrainians are statistically the most educated country in Europe by the amount of bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees. Yes, it's a very good explanation. Um, actually, we come, we come back to, to this metaphor of Robinson Crusoe and Friday, but in this case, we have not relations of white men and some Aboriginal person, but we have relations of, um, I would say, uh, urbanized uh, cousin and rural cousin, or perceived as rural cousin. And this, this um, uh, more advanced, allegedly more advanced and urbanized uh, person believes that he, he has some superiority vis-a-vis -vis this backward uh, rural bumpkin and can manipulate him. Uh, this cousin can be nice, you know, because usually this... Uh, uh, relatives from the province, they are nice, especially with their folk dances and some uh, ridiculous provincial speech, but uh, they should be manipulated from outside. They should be managed. They, 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 don't, they shouldn't have their own agency because they are, they are infantile, they are childish. They, they shouldn't have. Yeah? There is uh, the educated, cultured you know, cousin in St. Petersburg or in Moscow, so he's entitled to, to rule, to, to manage everything. This portrayal of Ukrainians and other nationalities as lesser than comes back to how Russia built and maintained this image of a cultured progressive nation, while they're really the complete opposite of that. We are used to reading about Russians in books as these very educated, incredible people. But then, and I say this responsibly, when we meet Russians on vacation, when we meet them in stores, in lines, most of us have this negative experience with loud, rude and unpleasant people. 
How many people do you know who try to avoid vacationing in spots that are notoriously highly populated by Russians? Probably most everyone. It's interesting how these ideas of the Russians we meet in real life do not imprint in our brains as much as the idea that we have of Russians that we read in books. Yes, um, it's very, it's very uh, a long story how uh, Russian empire and Russian culture in particular, but not only culture, but entire propaganda, created this artificial image of, of Russia as a, a very advanced and gentrified and cultured uh, country. Uh, so uh, we, we, we have these images from uh, 19th century literature, we have these images in uh, War and Peace, where, uh, which basically describes only a very tiny uh, strata of Russian society, but this strata is represented as, you know, as an uh, entire upper class of, uh, of Russia, and many Westerners perceive Russian Empire through uh, Leo Tolstoy's glasses, but it was not, you know, it's very, very, uh, very artificial representation, very uh, too, too gentrified. Too. Uh, and the same today, yes, many foreigners come to Moscow or St. Petersburg and say, well, it's quite, quite developed cities. But they don't know, uh, for example, that these cities are exceptional. And uh, sheer statistics uh, says that, you know, they have uh, budget of these cities have 10 times higher per capita than uh, in uh, all other average Russian cities. You know, it's 10 times, they are 10 times richer than uh, any any town or city in, uh, deeper in Russia. It's a huge difference. But, you know, very few people go there deeper into Russia. They have this, you know, idea about, yeah, Moscow is nice, uh, war and peace uh, explores very nice society, very gentle people, so they are like us. No, unfortunately, they are not like, like, like us, like, uh, like them. They are very different, and we see this, we observe this cruelty in Ukraine, we observe this genocidal war. It's, uh, people who grew up uh, on uh, works of Tolstoy and Dostoevsky and, and Pushkin, they read it in schools, they, they were taught this, all this literature in school, but nonetheless they commit uh, very heinous uh, crimes in Ukraine. How can it be? You know, Russian Empire invested a lot of resources uh, in order to create this image, uh, to distribute this image, and uh, to produce something what I call imperial knowledge, which, uh, you know, was uh, produced since 18th century, since uh, Peter I, and uh, disseminated internationally. It became international knowledge. It became uh, normalized. It uh, entered uh, Western academia. You have, you have all these uh, numerous textbooks, uh, history of Russia, history of Russian literature, and on and on. And all of them present uh, narrative, uh, present the story from Russian perspective, which uh, obviously is aimed, on the one hand, to gentrify the empire, uh, on the other hand, to belittle all these subjugated nations or to completely silence them. This is the main goal of, of, of the empire. And unfortunately, this, uh, this imperial knowledge was internalized, uh, not only in Russia, but also internationally. And this is why we have these big problems of misunderstanding uh, both Russia and Ukraine. Russia is, the role of Russia is exaggerated. Uh, great Russian culture is uh, overblown. And uh, Ukraine is virtually non-existent in this map. I remember these terrible articles which were published throughout 1990s about Ukraine. Uh, you, uh, perhaps you, you heard about this uh, Jack Man 
Netlock's uh, article published in New York Review of Books under the title Nowhere Nation, Ukraine was Nowhere Nation, or um, a, a New Nasty Ukraine, it was also another title in uh, New York Review of Books. So uh, it was, uh, absolutely it was a Russian point of view. This point of view did not differ much from what Putin said uh, to George Bush in Bucharest that Ukraine is not even a country. Well, but it's not it's not a nation so obviously it's not not even a country uh, the west uh lands to to see uh, both russia and ukraine and the entire region through russian lenses through russian glasses uh, russian eyes and this is why they failed to recognize all these tendencies in russia they still prefer to fool themselves that russia is kind of democratizing and you know um, it, it's, it's entitled to to have some uh, special rights some special uh, domination in the region so please don't irritate it it's, it's okay it's not rogue regime they refuse used to recognize this rogue regime for years uh, after genocide in Chechnya, after invasion in Georgia. They wanted to be fooled. And uh, I believe that, you know, this imperial knowledge largely influenced their mentality. Of course, we, we, we may speculate also about some imperial affinity because, you know, you know, most Western nations have deep imperial tradition and they uh, consider, um, uh, perceive the entire world in terms of geopolitics. So uh, they tend to believe that each uh, strong power is entitled to have some sphere of influence, sphere of dominance. They don't express this openly, but it's, in their subconscious, uh, probably this you know, imperial idea does exist. So it's easier to, uh, to perceive Russian arguments for them, uh, all this... Uh, stories about Crimea, which was uh, all this Russian. Yeah, it was not all this Russian. It, for the most time, it was not Russian at all. It was a country of indigenous people of the Crimean Tatars. But nonetheless, nobody cares about this. Everybody knows that, you know, Crimea was gifted by Khrushchev in 1954. What was began before that is obliterated completely. It's as if nothing happened uh, before that. So there are a lot of these stories. Uh, this uh, story about thousand-year-old Russia, which is not thousand-year, which uh, actually begins in the 18th century. Uh, about Kiev, which was uh, always, you know, Russian, a uh, cradle of Russian civilization, which in fact had nothing to do with, with Russia because of the Moscow, there was no Russia until the 18th century, and on and on. You know, all these fake stories uh, became international knowledge, imperial knowledge. Uh, it's very difficult to challenge it because, you know, how to challenge something that everybody knows, something that is perceived as normal. So it's a huge job for all of us, for, for intellectuals, both in Ukraine and internationally. My feeling is that the main goal of these uh, fake stories, fake narratives, is not so much to persuade, to, to make them true, uh, to make people believe them, but rather to distract attention, to, to draw attention to something else. You know? So instead of talking about Russian crimes, about Russian daily uh, shooting and shelling of Ukraine, killing of children and civilians, we discuss about you know, some fake Ukrainian Nazis and whatever. You know? So this is how discourse is shifted from real problems of Russian aggression, of Russian war, of Russian crimes, to some, you know, um, absolutely ficti fictitious uh, issues of non-existent uh, Nazis, of uh, non-existent discrimination of Russian speakers, and on and on. So, absolutely, narrative is changed. Narrative is is falsified, and uh, this is, I believe, this main goal of of, of Russian propaganda. A rough one for me and probably every Ukrainian is when the world reacts so harshly to something happening in Russia. Yet, when Ukraine gets shelled every single day, no one makes a peep. Those same people do not make a single sound about it. 
for instance, like user at nyktelios82 on Twitter, quote, This family went on vacation and died when Ukrainian military blew up the Kerch Bridge. End quote. Russia's largest G-lock and a legitimate military target, may I add? And there are hundreds of families dying in Ukraine. Yet that doesn't seem to bother anyone. Yes, uh, even though we have we have uh, international data, we have data from international organizations, we have uh, official United Nations data, which uh, says that uh, more than 500 Ukrainian children were killed. So it's not Ukraine propaganda, it's uh, uh, officially uh, proved, confirmed data with uh, real names uh, and, and so on. Uh, but still nobody cares. Eh? Yes, it's a big problem. Russian propaganda is very powerful. And what is worse, uh, it, it's well perceived just because people were poisoned with uh, all this, what I call imperial knowledge. They internalized it for, for years. And because, there is, because of this, they are very open. They are very skeptical to, to this, uh, this sort of, of uh, narratives. And of course, it's, for them, it's much more difficult to, to perceive Ukrainian uh, part of, of the story. It's a big challenge for all of us how to bridge this gap between academic knowledge and popular knowledge. Because academic knowledge today is more or less developed, at least in the Western countries. We have a very good library of, of books, of, of research, uh, of uh, published articles, which present quite real, real story, real story about Ukraine, about Russia, about history, about everything. But of course, it's academic knowledge. It's, uh, um, today, in the academic world, it's uh, inappropriate to, to use formulas like you no know, Kiev and Russia instead of Kiev and Rus. It's, uh, it sounds ridiculous, and we understand this. It's, it's as, as ridiculous as to say uh, ancient uh, Romania instead of ancient Rome, because it's absolutely different entities. But nonetheless, uh, in popular discourse, it's quite quite widespread. And I happened to happen to read uh, recently very um, comprehensive article, uh, comprehensive analysis of uh, English uh, children books, how they uh, describe Russia and occasionally also Ukraine. And it's absolutely Russian narrative in English uh, children books in 2022-2023. So um, how how to bridge this gap? Uh, it's, it's a huge challenge. I, I try to do this every day. I communicate with different people. I deliver lectures. I publish op-eds in international periodicals. But still, I feel, you know, how difficult it is. I think it's important for us as Ukrainians to breach that gap where truth about Ukraine is academic knowledge and make it pop culture, so to speak. I hate to say it, but we should do a little bit of what Russia does and insert real stories, real history, real events into novels, movies, something that can be something that's easily relatable to any average passerby. Yes, I, I, I fully agree. Uh, but, but of course, we cannot, we cannot operate symmetrically. We don't have the same resources as, as, as Russia has and would never have them. Uh, in the foreseeable future, but also we, of course, we we cannot operate uh, to imply such unscrupulous methods as Russia uh, employs. It's just it's morally, ethically unacceptable. So, of course, we have more limitations, uh, both in terms of resources and in terms of uh, some ethical constraints. I believe that we have uh, to operate asymmetrically. We have to employ probably more, more wheat, more uh, irony, to do, uh, to do a lot of parodies, uh, to, to mimic 
parodically mimic Russian discourses. So we, we have some you know, territories where we can fight and quite fight very successfully. I observed this, for example, um, from the uh, humor in the internet. Ukrainian, Ukrainian memes, Ukrainian humor is much more, much smarter because uh, all these Russian cartoons are very dull. It's not, not, very, not very interesting. Just. So we, we have, I believe we have some potential to, to struggle, but we shouldn't uh, mimic uh, Russian methods. Definitely not. And that'll be it from our guests today. Join me on the next episode as we continue to bring facts to the battlefield of Russia's special disinformation operation. And in the meanwhile, if you'd like to be filled in daily on everything that happens in Ukraine, as well as hear some sassy responses to Russian trolls, don't forget to follow me on YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram at Y-E-W-L-E-E-A. And extend that same courtesy to Svidomi Media, linked in the description of the podcast. Well, dohobachenya for now, and FAQ you, Russia, and your special disinformation operation.